Hey there, I'm Joanne Tambrakis, and this is Marketing, Mindfulness, and Martinis. Unfiltered conversations, or as I like to say, opinions shaken, not stirred, on what's changing and what's not in business and in life as we enter into the next normal. So pour yourself your beverage of choice, and let's get to it. Today's guest is the president and CEO of National Public Media. She has had a stellar career in both traditional and digital media, growing marketing and sales teams, launching brands and building companies. She was one of the builders of women.com, which was one of the first websites for women, for those who don't know, and Blog Her, which is where I met Gina, which I think is like 2009. It's so long ago. She's built advertising sales teams for Oxygen Media, Discovery Communications, and in syndicated television. She is also the chair of the Interactive Advertising Bureau Board of Directors and sits on the board of directors for Glen Highland Farm and the philanthropic board of eatreal.org. I hope I got all that right. Welcome to the podcast, Gina Garubo. I hope I'm sending you na- pronouncing your name right for that. Thank matter. you, Joanne. I'm <laughs> thrilled to be here. And yes, that was a perfect pronunciation. <laughs> I I, um, I try my best because I've lived my whole life with a last name that people trip over the first five times that they read it, and and then and then it get, then it gets easy. Yeah. So I always like to start my podcast with "Where are you from." So I grew up in suburban New Jersey and have actually spent most of my life in the tri-state area, but I did commute to California for a number of years while working at Silicon Valley companies and had some stints in London. So I've been around. You've got what I call a world view. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, not everybody has that. And I, I do think as your careers progress, it, it's a helpful thing to have a have a broader worldview. So you're currently the president and CEO of National Public Media. It's such an impressive title. Um, can you tell our listeners what exactly National Public Media means in 2021 and then a little bit about what that title means? Sure. So National Public Media is the sponsorship subsidiary of NPR and also owned in part by PBS and WGBH. So our corporate sponsorship team sells across all of NPR's platforms from radio to podcasting to NPR.org and the NPR One app. And then we have a national spot sponsorship team that brings national sponsorship dollars to NPR and PBS member stations. So as CEO of NPM, I report to NPR's CEO, John Lansing, and the NPM board of directors. And I am just hugely honored to help support the mission of NPR, NPR and PBS member stations who really strive for a more informed public. Wow. Yes, we're, we, we like a more informed public. Yes. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big we supporter. We need a more informed public. We, def- we definitely do. We definitely do. So you've 
pretty much been in every aspect of the media business, from traditional to digital to where we are now, which in my humble opinion is someplace in between. Um, You went from being a sales assistant to the president of national public media. Like that's just huge. Um, It gives you, again, it gives you a broader worldview than most. You've been in the trenches through so much change though. Can you talk about that? Sure. So, I, you know, I've been blessed with an amazing, exciting and adventurous career, Joanne. And um, I did start as a sales assistant at ABC in the 80s. And then I went to the buy side and worked at two ad agencies buying television time on behalf of some huge clients like Coca-Cola, but because I was the junior member of a few buying teams, uh, some of what I had to do was syndicated television and buying cable television, which a lot of buyers just didn't want to deal with. Syndicated television was complicated and cable television in the early days had such tiny audiences, people couldn't really get their brains around Why to even bother with it? I mean, this was in the days when television had, you know, 25 household ratings and 60, 70 shares of the American audience. And cable television was just we'd call it chicken scratch because the ratings (laughs) weren't were hardly measurable. But I watched as my niece and nephew you know, used a remote control, which was new to click on to Nickelodeon and then later MTV. And I just saw how cable television was going to be a thing. And I had to sell in syndication and cable to some of the biggest brands in the world who were our agency clients and sell them on this new media and explain how audiences were migrating to this, these new entities. I know, I, 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 you, as you were talking about the cable aspect, which I spent a number of years working for Time Warner Cable, but I remember when I was in radio and we hired somebody who had been selling cable. This is in the late eighties, someone who had been hiring cable in South Jersey someplace. And it was like, we were turning our noses up. Like, what did he know? And he went, he was a great salesperson. He went on to have a very successful career. <laughs> but that was, that was how these new entities were looked on at that point. It was and like, who's, who's going to do that? Who's going to, who's going to pay to watch television? <laughs> right. But it served me really well, Joanne, because when I went to the Discovery Channel and was running Eastern advertising sales, Uh, The president of Discovery asked if I would help figure out how to monetize Discovery Channel's website. And really, that was so hard in the mid 90s. There were just a handful of people who could buy Internet advertising. And we sold into some of the biggest brands like BMW. They were fantastic and early on the Internet. But, you know, really, it. It helped uh, understand how to sell in a new media. And I left that very glamorous job at Discovery to go to a teeny little startup called women.com and was very proud of my years there because it was really the democratization of media because prior to the internet, you did just have media consolidated in the hands of, you know, 
a very few media companies versus how it exists today. I know what we used to call the big three, and then it became the big four. Right. I mean, definitely, we're both showing our age to the younger listeners, but this is a good this is a good history lesson for those who weren't around then. So how were you able to navigate this all? And then as a woman, I, I want to talk about that too, because obviously your first internet company was women.com. And then, and then you were over at Blog Her, which was all about, all about reaching out to, to, to women. In the early days, it was real, still pretty much the early days of the internet. Um, can you talk about that? Because Yeah, you know, I, I never felt that being a woman put me at a disadvantage, maybe because I'm a bit of a tomboy at heart. But honestly, I, I feel very lucky. I feel like even though, you know, I worked for some really tough bosses who, you know, terrorized, but they terrorized everybody. (laughs) You know, I never felt that I was at a disadvantage, especially uh, later on when, you know, I became a single mom from the get-go as women.com was going public and I had to go to you know, our investors and board and explain as an officer of this company that was going public, I was going to be, you know, a single mom and they were all going to support me and they did all support me. You know, I, I love to work, Joanne, and I love the media business. And, you know, I, I consider myself very privileged to have been a part of the internet in the early days and blog her, you know, that started in 2004, I joined as a consultant in 2007 and was there for many years. And I'm proud that we shared tens of millions of dollars of advertising revenue with women bloggers whose voices otherwise wouldn't have been heard. Women who were blogging from their ranch in Oklahoma, like Reed Drummond, the pioneer woman. And it's other. become a huge success now. It's just, <laughs> I, she was on, I don't know what she was on. I think I saw her on The View or something this week or last week. And I was like, wow, like I remember when this, she was just starting out. Yeah, I went to her <laughs> ranch. Uh, Lisa Stone, one of the co-founders, and I went out to the ranch to woo Ree to join Blog Her, which she did. And, you know, it, she is incredible. She's authentic. She's kind. She's smart. She's talented. Yeah, very, very. I just feel so lucky to have been a part of all of that. Well, you helped to make it all happen, in my humble little opinion. Um, <laughs> but so the business is so different today. Um, we could probably have this whole podcast, you and I, just talking about what it was like um, in the <laughs> in the earlier days. Now I really sound like a little old lady. Um, but what would you say to someone to, who's getting into this business today, into this on the advertising, more so on the advertising side, I guess, of, of well, I would just say work really hard, but also have fun and make lasting friendships with people you work with. They will make the journey so much better. I mean, I there isn't a day in my life that doesn't go by when I don't hear from a coworker and we laugh and, you know, joke about things. And um, it just it 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 makes the journey worthwhile. And that's what I would advise young people. And, you know, just be curious. Yeah. It's so funny because I asked this question and that's curiosity is one of the things that comes up all the time. 
Um, it's really be curious. And I always like to tell people to be curious, be beyond what is showing up in the feeds on their social media networks, because that does kind of, in my opinion, it keeps you in a little bit of a tunnel as opposed to being curious beyond that. Now, when I was reading your LinkedIn bio, one of the things that really stood out for me is that even though you've, you've worked for large companies and startups, but you've always taken an entrepreneurial approach to the business and to your career. And it, it's clearly served you served you well. Um, can you talk about that? Yeah, you know, I'm an adventurer at heart and um, I love to build things and make things and clean up things and look at uh, challenges maybe with a, a new and different lens. I actually left the business for a few years to create a line of natural skincare. Products. I remember that. I, you sent me some. You sent me some of that. You yeah, sent me Carolina, some we were the first skincare product in the bag at the TED conference in 2004. Uh, Jolique followed the year after. So yeah, I just, I love doing things that have never been done before and trying things that have never been done before. You know, they all haven't worked out, but <laughs> many, many have, and it's, it's been incredible. Wow. You know, you represent what I think of as a legacy brand um, with a set of standards that you continue to hold high to that have earned your properties a high level of trust and respect. And, and at a time when it's really hard to come by, I think trust, what that Edelman study said, the trust is like at an all time, all time low. Can you talk about what that's like? I mean, even trying to keep that legacy up and, and keeping holding, holding fast to it. Yeah. I mean, the NPM team is incredibly proud to help NPR and PBS and our member stations bring the highest quality journalism and storytelling to audiences. And the sponsorship support we're able to bring to NPR and PBS member stations and it, it is just makes it all happen. And it's a, the trust that exists between these public media audiences really rubs off on the brands that support them. There is very little sponsorship versus commercial media entities. So when we have done neuroinsights studies, the sponsor messages in public media are a lot more memorable because they are also produced in a style and tone that's in keeping with the voice and tone of the programming, fact-based. Yeah, it's interesting that you said that because I do believe the less is more. Um, it's It helps it to stand out. I think that's one of the reasons that podcasts have had such success with engagement. Although I now some of these podcasts, the ones that are getting hundreds and thousands of downloads every time, which is unfortunately not mine at this point, but um, they're running too many commercials. It's almost sounding, and it's that's not going to help, in my opinion, help the advertiser. I think that standing out, you're actually listening. And then we're on to back where I was there for, I was there for the content. I wasn't there to listen to a commercial or watch a commercial. Um, so I was in the business of selling advertising when there was a lot less choices <laughs> and a lot less automation involved. Um, can you talk about that? 
Yeah, you know, um, the it's a very different world. Digital brought in email, and you know, I was I grew up in an era where we played golf together, had lunch together, had dinner together, and we were on the phone with each other and negotiating all day long, either in person or on the phone. And I think something gets lost when it's just digital. I had uh, lunch yesterday in Manhattan with a very senior member of one of the big agency holding companies. And we were just talking about how different things are and what it's going to be like to bring staff back when they've been remote and what it's like been like during this time. And, you know, I'm I'm saddened for young people who during the pandemic have not been able to hang out with one another Mm -hmm. in person or hang out with the rest of the team and learn and and grow. It's just it's a very different experience in the digital age. Yeah, no, it really is. I'm, you know, I, I obviously, ever, I, you know, I teach um, at NYU and we're back in the classroom for some of the classes with MassOg, which is not optimum, but, you know, it works. But just seeing the energy and the interaction with the student, they're so happy, everyone's so happy to be physically in a spot with people again. It's, um, it kind of yeah. makes me wonder how we rethink a lot of this digital stuff. I do want to say one po- one positive thing about, um, you know, the interaction with our clients and our agency associates has been nice with the the video calls because we're all in our homes and we've all let down our guards. And sometimes we have dogs and kids running in and noise and delivery men and um I, I do appreciate the um, hair down aspect of that and the more relaxed mode. And, you know, when we get on these calls, we don't just jump into business. You know, how are you? How's your family? And, you know, it's we we're more personal than we would otherwise be, I think. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's a much more authentic. Um, even when we got on this call, it's like, you know, I have my blurred background here. Even though everyone can't see us, we can see each other um, because I'm tired of cleaning up behind me. I just, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just not going to do it. And um, so we'll keep the blurred background and, and keep it like that. It just keeps things a little bit more real, I think. Um, it, it was also, I also found it refreshing that you actually still have guidelines for sponsor ads. Like, that's something that we don't see a lot of these days. Well, those guidelines are are very important, and I'll uh, just speak to NPR's philosophy. First of all, it stems from NPR's great respect for the listening audience. And so sponsor messages have to be fact-based. They are not allowed to make claims and they are not allowed to push pricing. And the idea is really tell, don't sell. The NPR audience doesn't really want to be sold to, but the sponsor messages are actually more effective when they are Mm fact-based. And it has to do with the fact 
as I mentioned before, we produce sponsor messages in the style and tone, and we have very light sponsor message load versus. So on NPR, two and a half minutes of sponsor messages an hour versus 12 to 14 minutes of commercials on a commercial radio station. So sponsor messages are heard and the recall is very high uh, and it's a it's better for everybody. The sponsors are appreciated. You know, I never heard that at any commercial media entity I was ever at, that sponsors are appreciated. Well, no, I'm I'm right there with you. It's one of those, and I'm reading more about this now, and I've always believed this when it comes to online content, is that whole idea of educate and inform instead of interrupt and sell. And um, I think you almost, I don't know, maybe I'm kind of crazy, but I've been reading a lot that there's a lot of studies that are showing that educating and informing is going to be the more effective way to reach people in such a noisy world. I mean, it's so noisy out there. There's so It's much almost stuff. like, uh, you know, a lot of media is just catching up to where NPR has been yes. the entire time. And it does have to do with audiences demanding a greater authenticity mm-hmm. from media and sponsors. I remember at, you know, women.com and blog her, we would have to say to brands, you know, that, commercial you're running in daytime where the woman's hugging a mop and singing because she's so happy she's cleaning her house. Yeah, that'll never fly here. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, we say to brands, look, just tell the story of your value proposition and what you're bringing. And it's fantastic. And it works. So you are also the chair of the IAB and you sit on the board of Eat Real. Okay. Do you ever sleep? Ah, yes. I, I, but I do get up early and I will uh, mention, I'm really proud to have been elected uh, board chair of the Interactive Advertising Bureau. And I will tell you, uh, the IAB's job has never been more important, Joanne, as big tech is under fire uh, and we need to make sure that we ensure a free free and open access to an ad supported uh, digital ecosystem. I mean, we know from the pandemic, there are a lot of people who really depended on access to digital content in a way that didn't matter as much and having free access for everyone to the highest quality content is very important. And and a part of, you know, the IAB's mission in terms of Eat Real, I'm on the philanthropic board and happy to support this amazing group. Uh, They bring food and education to schools in California. And during the pandemic, that actually increased to families who were having trouble getting the food they needed. And uh, it's just amazing. Every Everybody should be able to eat healthy food. Yes, especially in what is one of the richest countries, if not the richest country in the world, we shouldn't be having these, these food issues. And I'm, I'm right there with you about, um, 
access to the internet. It was it was it was a lifeline. You know, as much as we can complain about so many aspects of what's going on, um, it's a lifeline. It was a, it definitely was a lifeline during the pandemic. So how how is how did your business adapt? Well, so we everybody's remote. We kept uh, we set up standard meetings, impromptu meetings. It's interesting because we had planned an in-person company meeting at NPR's headquarters for September, which of course we couldn't do and we canceled a month ahead of time, but we spread it out over a few days. So it wasn't, you know, six or eight hours of everybody just sitting there. And at the end of every day, we had games, we had cocktails uh, <laughs> throughout the year. We have different speakers come in and interviews. So we're trying to stay connected as an organization in a way that, you know, we didn't have to work so hard at it before. We would all just pile into a conference room or have right. a little chat, you know, in the hall on the way to a meeting. But, you know, we we really have to work at it. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I miss the most is just running into people. Just And it's happened yesterday when I was teaching at NYU. I just ran into a faculty member that I hadn't seen in a while. It's like, oh my gosh, it's so great to see you. Uh-huh. I ran into someone on the street yesterday that I hadn't seen, I don't even know when, since well before the pandemic. And you know, those are the things that I know I didn't realize how much I missed until they were right there in front of me again. And how about personally? How, how, how are you? Well, <laughs> to adapt. <laughs> I, it's been great. Uh, yeah, I wake up at five o'clock in the morning most days, and I've happily changed up my morning routine, which used to mean getting into the car at uh, 6.45 to drive into Manhattan for what was in total a two and a half to three hour commute each day or running to the 6.15 a.m. train to D.C., which was a six hour commute uh, per day. And now I get up, I am walking two to four miles a day. I'm doing yoga and Pilates every other day with an instructor. I have more time for meditation, grounding and reflection. So, you know, I just, I, I, it's luxurious. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And it actually makes going into Manhattan a lot more fun than, you know, just this daily grind, which can get to you. Yeah, no, I I think, um, I don't know how you feel about it, but I think that some sort of a hybrid is the answer. I, I can't see people wanting to be back in a place five days a week. But when you just have a couple of days that you're there, it makes it more fun. It makes it more interesting. And then it makes you more appreciative of the time that you're not there and you can work on your own and maybe not put on makeup or wash your hair all day or something like that. <laughs> well, I can't get away with that because I have video calls back to back most days. <laughs> but um, I, I will tell you, our team has performed amazingly being remote and, you know, working for Silicon Valley based companies early on, we we were all on the move. We were all remote and just connected via the web and voice. And um, I think a hybrid is totally the way to go. Yeah, you know, it's 
it 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 is interesting. And and as you're talking, you know, one of the things I always tell people when I meet them when they're looking to shift or change is that everything in your life helps you at some point, even when you don't realize that you learned something here and now you're taking it into the future. You know, kind of like that was back then when you were working at Silicon Valley, it helped you to prepare a little bit better for this whole hybrid thing. It was easier for you. Right. Um, and I think people forget that. They think that something that, ha- you know, experience in the past may not necessarily help them in their future endeavors. Um, I would like to finish up. I know you're a busy lady and I'm so appreciative of your time with a little lightning round of fun questions. Are you up for it? Sure. <laughs> Favorite social network? Uh, LinkedIn. LinkedIn. So many people, all the successful people say LinkedIn. I'm just, that's all I'm going to say. Um, something people would never guess about you. Uh, that I'm happiest outdoors doing things like fly fishing and hiking. Wow. Um, the last series that you binged. Yellowstone. Yes. And you know what? As we're recording this, it is, I think that, I think it's starting this Friday. I think there's the new season is a two hour episode. I'm very excited. I love that show. Um, a food you can't live without chicken. What you miss most about pre COVID life. The energy of being with other people. And what you might miss most in post-COVID life? (laughs) My new morning routine. (laughs) Which I was just going to, and I just wanted to finish to what motivates you to get up in the morning? Uh, Just a feeling of gratitude. You know, I'm just happy to be here. Oh, that's wonderful. Wonderful. Gina, is there any place that people can can find you online or anyone who wants to stay in touch, follow you? Oh, sure. I I am at Gina Garubo at LinkedIn and you can come and message me and, you know, happy to chat. Thank you so much, Joanne. Thank you. This has been fun and it's great to be reconnected after all these years. Thanks so much for listening to Marketing Mindfulness and Martinis. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. Give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify so other people can find us and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you've got a question you'd like answered or a topic you'd like me to cover, please drop me a note. Info at joannetombrakis.com. And until next time, remember... Whatever got you to where you are isn't enough to keep you there.